how the gentle pot echoes through the leaves as autumn colors fall. Dancing in a swirl of golden memories, the luckiest cast of all. Somewhere, lost in the clouded annals of history, lies a podcast that very few have seen. A mysterious podcast called The Disney Desk, where long-forgotten stories about animation are revealed to those who travel through the internet. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, yeah, I really put the work in for that one. Uh, it was a lot better than my second idea. Yeah, you really... <laughs> oh my god, I'm almost curious to know what that was. I, I have to. Uh, okay, my second was idea it? was just... Um, you know, life really can be as sweet as potatoes and molasses casts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. that hurts. It hurts to that, hear. It looked like difficult to say. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but, you know, I think the song was successful. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Disney desk, everyone. I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. You know, we had so much fun with the Hocus Pocus episode, particularly with the element of... The fact that one of us had seen it and was a huge fan, and the other person had very little context for it. We thought we would um, do that again and kind of make it a regular thing. Right. Um, today's episode of the Disney Desk will be titled, Sydney's Never Seen It, or Sydney's Never Seen, something like that. In the future, there will be installments called Carter's Never Seen, um, and... Maybe you can contextualize what this will be about. But yes, today we are, um, I am, I guess, reviewing something I've never seen before that Carter is already a fan of. Yes, yes. Um, this was something, this is something I've been talking about with Sydney for a while now. I knew at some point I wanted to do this episode and it felt like it was a really good opportunity to do it at the start of November because it very much is a show about wandering out of the woods, of getting out of Halloween. Um, because apparently Christmas just starts immediately. Now. Yeah, exactly. Christmas starts at 11.59 on, on the 31st. Uh, this is, yeah, this is sort of a, it's, it's autumnal. And it takes place technically on Halloween, but that's sort of ambiguous. Yes. Yeah. It, so. If you haven't figured it out yet, given, you know. If you're a fan of this show and you haven't seen my hints all over my social media, we are talking about Over the Garden Wall. Right. And you know what? I'm anticipating that a lot of people haven't seen this, actually. You know, I have thought about that. Because on one hand, it feels like it's for a certain sphere of animation kids, or for like kids who like spooky Halloween stuff, this has become sort of a seminal work, like a part of the canon. Like, I know multiple friend circles who do yearly watch parties, who aren't connected, who are different spheres and different mm -hmm. parts of my life, who just take one evening to go through this uh, miniseries kind I, you mentioned that you thought it was a movie. Yeah, and honestly, I, it kind of feels more like a movie. Well, I had, see, like, I don't really remember this ever being on, um... You know how I know about this? Like, I truly know about this in a in a very, like, six degrees of separation type way. In mm -hmm. the sense of, like, 
I follow a lot of voice actors online. I'm a fan of a lot of like voice performers who have mentioned this in their resume. So I was always aware of the title because people like Tara Strong and like, you know, other really big names have mentioned mm-hmm. this as a credit to them. So, yes. so that's like most of my context for Over the Garden Wall. Otherwise, I'd know it by scrolling through Hulu and just seeing it as a title on yes. Hulu. I This came out in, what, 2017? No, actually uh, longer than that. Uh, I believe the first episode aired... Hold on, I'm pulling it up right now. Um, the It aired basically for a week in November 2014. Oh, okay, yeah. So that's the year we graduated high school. And right. yeah, I... Um, my assumption about it, passing it on Hulu, was that this was, like, a Cartoon Network film, not a miniseries, mm-hmm. which the miniseries element definitely, like, I didn't realize it was a series until I went to watch it for this and realized, oh, this is in installments, this is in episodes. And that kind right, of changed right. the format to me, because anything that I'm new to, I try to, like, imagine myself watching it the way the creators intended. So mm-hmm. if I, like, how would this feel if I were putting it on my TV... And, like, watching it the way that they intended to deliver it? Yes. Um, Yeah, um, so let me give a little bit of history and my context before we break, get into your um, review. Um, So I was introduced to this. Well, like you, I kept seeing it around. Like, I followed the right Twitters. I followed the right social medias. I would always see, like, the pictures and fan art and... In my head, I was like, why do I have no context for this? But at the same time, that was right around that brief period from, like, 2009 to 2015 where I really wasn't into animation, where I was like, I'm too mature for this. Oh, I'm a adult. sports kid. Yeah. Yeah, before the theater kid parts took over. Right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, it wasn't, it wasn't out of the realm of my... Exit like possibility to see a cartoon that I didn't have the context for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was created by Patrick McHale. Um, he is a guy. He was a big sort of art, lead artist on Adventure Time, and Cartoon Network has apparently been trying to make a series with him for a while. They very they very much had that energy of we know we want you to do something. You clearly are talented. We just don't know what yet, and. Eventually, um, he did a short called Tomb of the Unknown, which was a sort of pseudo version of this show, and then he finally got to make the show. And I will say the miniseries element does help with that voice actor thing, because mm-hmm. one, just aesthetically, stylistically, energy-wise, like, it feels heightened. It feels like this is a prestige project. It does, yeah. Like, just to throw some names, uh, Christopher Lloyd, Tim Curry, uh, Elijah, Elijah Wood, Wood. <laughs> yeah. uh, Colin Dean, who also voices Lincoln Loud, um... Oh, wait, you know yeah, what I just realized? Who who. We should give some kind of synopsis of the show. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like it, like, okay. And just huge spoilers right now. If yeah. you haven't seen this. And we uh, really want on. you to see it. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, Sydney, do you want to give me one sentence before we do the whole rest of this episode on whether or not you like this? Um, I love it. It is my current obsession. I have only stopped watching it to do this podcast okay good good yes. and i also love it or i wouldn't have shoved this down sydney's throat right um so yes uh this is the story of a two stepbrothers half brothers if you will who find themselves lost in a mysterious forest called the unknown um and it follows them through a series of vignettes as they pick up 
uh, woodland sidekicks as they meet mysterious and weird people and creatures, get into various hijinks that are all sort of turn of the century, late 1800s, uh, like 1940s at the latest sort of vibes and Even energy. Even earlier, yeah. Yes, and while also trying to stay one step ahead of the beast, the dark spirit of the forest who lurks, looks for lost souls to possess them and turn them into trees. Except that's not really what it's about. It turns out uh, these were two kids in like 2010 who, through a series of hijinks, uh, ended up nearly drowning in a lake and are somehow in this purgatory dreamlike state. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's a Wizard of Oz. Right, yeah. And we'll have to... We got into a bit of debate earlier about the... About, about its Wizard of Oz-esque-ness. yes. And we will talk about that later, but... Um, well, just to finish my experience with it, weirdly, my biggest experience was I knew that it was a Wizard of Oz thing before I knew what the main plot was. For some reason, people mm. around Halloween kept posting on Instagram reels of the final episode. So I'd have the context of like, oh, wait, this is in the present? And that interested me because I love Wizard of Oz. It's genuinely one of my like five favorite worlds and like stories. So like that is what sparked my interest in it. Um, on top of the fact, uh, one of my friends from the Renaissance Fair did a cabaret version of it, where all these actors dressed up as the characters and, like, sung through the soundtrack and the plots. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and... so weird that you mentioned that other people also see it as a Wizard of Oz thing, and it's like, I don't disagree with with that sentence, that it its plot mirrors the Wizard of Oz, but mm-hmm. I disagree like i i find myself disagreeing with with this being sort of anything like the wizard of oz actually hmm. do we want to start with that or do we want to build our way up to that let's build there <laughs> okay so you already answered like what did you know going in and like what like what what was i saying to you i genuinely don't remember how many times i brought this up to you well i think it was a couple a couple times since probably since we restarted this podcast. Um, and the conversation is always like, have you seen Over the Garden Wall? And I was like, oh yeah, I've, I'm familiar with that name. And then mm-hmm. we sort of just move on from it. Um, we didn't really know how to work it in until recently, until we started thinking about, I know what we would do for Halloween. But um, yeah, I just, I had seen like maybe some concept art of it Mm -hmm. even watching it now i had seen some stills that i felt like i had recognized from like tumblr or something like that you know like uh (laughs) and definitely like the aesthetic of our two main characters were and greg i definitely recognized them as like yes as a a duo quietly become staple halloween characters yeah with the hat there's always someone you know who dresses up as them does that yeah so so i knew that that was kind of the extent of it. And I also I, I also could tell this would some, be something that I would be interested in. Even before, like, I really had no reason for not having seen it until now. I just, like, sort of never got around to it. Um, but even from the little bit that I knew, because I am a Halloween girl, you know, living in a Halloween world. And I knew this would be, like, up my alley of, like, sort of sleepy, hollow, spooky esque like storybook something um yes so i knew that i would appreciate it on on some level but i did yeah, not know how I, much. 
Right, because I was going to say, like, very much the aesthetic is clear from the jump. Like, any image you see of this, it immediately invokes, like, a certain genre and a certain energy. Um, like, it just looks autumnal. Like, mm -hmm. Cartoon Network has multiple animation loops where they just have, like, leaves falling and different shots from the show. Right. Like, they fundamentally understand. Um, yeah. I uh, saw in, uh, I think I, like, read this somewhere. I saw it on YouTube, like, an interview with the creator. Um, what's his name again? Jack? What's uh, his Patrick. Name? Oh. Uh, hold on. I got, I got that all wrong. Patrick McHale. Of him saying that he drew inspiration from um, New England postcards. Um, that had like I these sort of that. Thomas Kincaid esque like scene or scenes that were simultaneously and these are like these are his words but simultaneously warm and inviting but sort of frightening and like mm -hmm. there's like mystery and sort of like an element of of fear <laughs> in the shadows of these of these little paintings that were on postcards for New England. That's interesting because I would have I would say I would have said it's Norman Rockwell but sad nostalgic as opposed to happy nostalgic and populated by Beatrix Potter characters. Oh, you know what this reminded me of? Oh, and of course I'm drawing a blank on his name. This reminded me of the aesthetic of this American painter. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the painting Christina's World. Um, what is his name? He's an American painter, and of course I'm blanking on it. I love his work, but he paints the this like Andrew sort of, Wyeth. Andrew oh, yes. Wyeth, and yeah, and his work is like sort of like sleepy Americana that is mm -hmm. like kind of haunting. It's like simultaneously warm and like sort of like sends a shiver down your back a little bit to see. Yes. It very much, I think one of the reasons why it gets so winsome during autumn now is because of this show, because it captures that energy. Down to Wart, especially in the first episode, just monologuing poetry. <laughs> yeah. And you did answer my question, would you have watched this if I didn't recommend this? Because I feel like I kind of undersold it to you, because I didn't think about a lot of the elements of like, oh, it has a very Grimm's fairy tale energy. It's very like weird and off the wall it has mm -hmm. mystery elements i realize so many of the like tags you would attach to this are very much barkley tags for sure i mean like you know um i've never i haven't mentioned it yet on this podcast but like my favorite web series of all time don't hug me i'm scared um this has such don't hug me energy actually um of just kind of being like surrealist like more questions and answers um mm -hmm creepiness um that is like delivered with a straight face have a nice day do with that information what you will and i love content like i love storytelling that is like here's a load of information and we're not gonna like answer any of it for you like please connect the dots as you see fit yeah i was going to ask you like how did you engage with the mystery element and knowing you because we did watch wandavision together we kind of we basically had a watch party for every episode <laughs> And you went, went full-blown detective for that. Yeah, I wasn't going to say it, but you went <laughs> hog-wild on that. And I feel like that will pay off when Agent of Chaos com or uh, Covenant of Chaos comes out. But for now, oh, yeah. that work is just sitting in a dusty corner of your office, and you're like, one of these days, oh, I'll crack the wand brain. case. Yeah, um, it's the SpongeBob meme of, like, all of these SpongeBobs in his brain that are like, what's the name? What's the name? Yeah, that's what I've but, got um, in my brain. Yeah, I was going to say... Like, how much have you been engaging with 
I know you've now rewatched it multiple times, but have you been engaging with the online theories, the online sort of discussion? Um, a bit. I've, it's definitely like informed a little bit of, of my conclusions about the show, but like, <laughs> I watch things like this by, like, you know, I watch it all the way through once and I'm just, like, take in everything and I don't ask any questions and I just accept it. And then I, like, just immediately play episode one again with everything that I know. And then I start going through it with a fine-tooth comb and being like, okay, like, show me your cards. Like, what what are the pieces here? And it's, just like, it's, there's something so like I recommend it to everybody when you finish a series like immediately play the first episode like right after you've taken in every single bit of information like start from the top and then it's so impressive to see how much of the whole story is like woven into the first few minutes of this of mm-hmm. that this like opening that I'm like oh my god that's incredible but um, I dive yeah. into things like this and I've yeah picked it apart for I'm not even I haven't feel like I haven't even scratched the surface of ways that I can like I, dig into this. I feel like ninety percent of what you've messaged me has been about this. Yeah. Just for, in different ways, shapes, and forms. For the last like forty eight um, hours, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, um I like I think I've described the idea like someone on I wish I remembered who said it, but movies are either puzzles or dreams. So, like, mm. the ultimate dream side is, like, spirited way, where it's all emotion, all abstract, all metaphor and ideas. Mm. Uh, I would say something like Inception is a puzzle where it's, like, you're really trying to, like, crack the clues, crack the case. Right. And don't hug me, I'm scared, and this are very much both, both? Yeah. simultaneously <laughs> dreams and puzzles. Absolutely. Where it's, like, well, I guess I would say uh, don't hug me, I'm scared, as that one clip I sent you is, we live in an actual nightmare. But um, That's from the new thing that I have yet yes, to see. Yes, I'm trying not to spoil too much of it for I'm you. I'm just trying to be respectful of the creators I, and watch I it the way they intended me to. I will watch it on the correct platform when it is released. Yes. But I also am a salty sea dog, and right. that's what I'm going to say about that. But anyway, <laughs> yes, like, I like that this works purely as a dream where it's emotion and metaphor. Like, the metaphors are very clear, I feel like. Both subtle, mm-hmm. but also pretty clear, especially when you go back and watch it with the added context of the final episode. Like you said, when you go back and watch it, you realize how, like, elegantly Steep all of the themes is. and ideas. Yes. Right. But at the same time, there are puzzle elements. There's a lore, like, there's a universe here that seems mm-hmm. to have rules if you squint hard enough. Like, what the hell's with the turtles? Why are there so many turtles? The black what do the turtles. turtles do? Well, it's, you know, what's interesting to me is, like, if there is a world, there are many. And it's, like, every episode is its own world with its own rules. Right, and that's where the dream element comes in, where it's, like, these, they all have, like, this central metaphor, these central metaphors and themes right. that kind of overlap and interact, but the, like, physical space they exist in is completely different. And also, I think it's very pointed, and we'll talk about it as we get to the modern reveal Mm. like i like that like a dream we never really get context for how they get to each location like the connective tissue of traveling usually gets left out like especially like the middle episodes where it's like getting on the ferry they're just on the ferry yes yeah they're just on the ferry um or they're just in a someone's like hey like on a cart or they're just something at a mansion where did this mansion come from right (laughs) um and, like, that's summed up by the first episode going, you know, Wirt immediately realizing he has no idea how they got there. Right, yeah, that's sort of the only time they reference that, that they that they were in, that headed somewhere, jumping. but suddenly they're lost, yeah. Yes. Um, I was going to say, going back a little bit, so what was your takeaway from episode one? Like, 
because like I'd been hyping it up for you. Like, what was your first? I think you sent a couple messages where you were like, "Whoa, okay." <laughs> well, gee, let me consult my notes because you know I have notes for every episode. But um, episode one is like, well, first of all, like I think I decided like sort of a general thesis for this show. I think there could be several theses. How? What's the plural of thesis? Thesi. Theses. I don't know. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, there could be general different through lines for many different through lines for this show. The one that I think the storytellers here are trying to impose the most is like, how do we approach? the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. What do we need? What kind of skills does a person need to push through the fear, push through any fear? Actually, this is a, right. a context about fear and like, what does a person like, what sort of things help a person get over things that they are afraid of? And right. it's like, to me, every episode like has a different answer for that question. And, uh, so episode one, we're introduced to this, like, woodsman who clearly is, like, the adult manifestation of Wirt, and is, like, what happened when the fears, like, are never checked. Yeah. And... I think that's a good, I think that's a good connective tissue, considering the deal that's offered to Wirt at the end of the final episode. Right. Um... Where he's literally going to take the woodsman's job. (laughs) Right. Yeah, like, you, right, literally, it's literally offered him, like, well, you could be this dude. And, you know, something very specific stood out to me. I mean, first of all, Greg is so hilarious. I mean, like, at, at, like my first impression, which is really what you asked me, was just, like, the show is not only, like, intellectually engaging. It's, it's, it's quite funny. It's really hilarious. Yes. And it's, like, really, really well-done comedy for... Because I remember what Cartoon Network was like in 2010... In the, in the 2010s and in 2014. And, like, it wasn't the most sophisticated comedy. It was beautiful for what it was. But it wasn't really, mm-hmm. like, smart humor or anything like that. And it was it was certainly much louder. This was, like, the transition point where their loud humor was becoming more, like... Thoughtful. Where Adventure Time was like, yes, like, let's actually think about stuff. And regular right. show actually had, like, domestic stress where, like, the entire <laughs> right. crux of the end of the plot is Rigby finally becomes the serious one, whereas Mordecai's kind of the layabout. Right. Yeah. Well, that also leads into a question I want to say is, is this one of the best examples of adult... Do you think this counts as adult animation? Because I think it's one of the best examples we've had in recent memory. Yes. This immediately reminds me of what I said back in the Craig of the Creek episode, which was that, like, Cartoon Network makes things for its own creators. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, because um, for me, like, and I think we've talked about this, I, I really hate the state of adult animation right now. Like, yeah, I think, me too. One day we should go on a rant about it and just have a rant but, episode yeah. where we, like, crap on all of them. Yeah, so it's, it's just garbage. It's swearing and garbage and, like, oh, edgy, edgy, where it's like, this is like, no, a kid will get a lot out of this because it's very funny, it's goofy, Right. The scenarios are, like, literal 1920s cartoon hijinks, where right. we're, like, running around a tree from a gorilla. Right. Um, there's a prolonged comedy bit 
where a lady frog keeps getting knocked into and dropping her tadpole babies on the ground and people slip on them as if they're banana peels. Right, and they're crying like they're making like a baby cry sound. Yes. And, but at the same time, like, literally the first episode, you described it goes hard. Literally, we have like a glowy-eyed demon wolf crushed by a, like a, like a sawmill. Okay, can I just say something about the beast? Like, I found it so impressive that, like, in in most shows where there's, like, an ominous monster, that monster is, like, most of the time some sort of, like, metaphor for something else. It's revealed that it's, like, not... It's, like, maybe some kind of, like, hurt animal, like we saw with, like, Man-Thing or something like that. But, Mm -hmm. like, they just reveal a monster. Like, it looks like a monster monster. from far away. It comes up close. It's a huge monster. It's terrifying. And I, like... It literally sucks the light out of an area. Right. It's got these terrifying eyes. It's frothing at the mouth. Like, it's a huge monster. And, like, I have to appreciate that, like, the the fears of, like, the village crazy man, like, are just, like, true. It's not... He's not crazy. Like, there's a monster. (laughs) Yeah, and it's somehow even worse than the wolf. They're like, oh, we solved the beast problem. It's like, you idiot, that's not the beast. No. Like, in that, like, well, that's why, and we'll get to this later. My favorite song is the uh, Beast is Out There, which is during the Highwayman episode. But, Ooh, um, the Highwayman. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah, I like, I, and for some reason, this show invokes a lot of, like, well, it obviously invokes a lot of early cartoons. They literally use, like, similar reference dances from, like, Cade Calloway cartoons right. and Betty Boop. The lady who runs the inn is clearly Betty Boop. She has the same face structure. She has the oh, same sort of right. squeaky voice. The tavern lady? Yeah. Yes. But at the same time, also it reminds me a lot of the very early Disney, particularly oh, yeah. Snow White, where mm-hmm. it's like... People always complain, oh, Disney sanitizes this stuff for kids. It's like, well, they didn't always. Like, the early animation stuff is pretty grim and yeah. pretty dark and pretty spooky. And I like that this captures that Grimm's fairy tale energy of, like, spooky morality tales with gore and monsters and bones. Right. Well, that leads me, obviously, to the next question. Favorite episode and favorite song. They don't have to necessarily be connected. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, What's the one... There was one that I said, like, this is the funniest episode. Was it? The, the mansion. Yes. Yeah. The one where they go to um, Uncle Landicott, is that his name? His mansion. Yes. Um, and he's just, like, co-inhabited with, like, another wealthy woman. And they don't realize that they live in the same home. They think each other Their is a ghost. Their mansions have literally overlapped each other. <laughs> they both just happen to, like, own and operate a tea business like together but also separately and um, um that just has some of the best humor in it um that's that's the funniest episode but my favorite song you already know is potatoes and molasses that's why i was like i have to make one of these be oh my God. one of my intros be potatoes and molasses it's a pop like as soon as i heard it i was like this is my favorite song <laughs> and honestly it captures it captures greg's energy perfectly <laughs> right because like He's, like, happy-go... Like, he never gets sad. Like, the saddest he gets is when he confesses he stole a rock, which is his, like... Like, he thinks he's the reason they're there, when in reality, this is more about Wirt learning a lesson. Right. Which is, like, a kid energy to have, where it's like, well, this has to be my fault. Yeah. He sort of weirdly takes responsibility for 
for everything at the end. Even though that that's something I wanted to say about episode one was like that that stood out to me. Um, one line in particular that the woodsman says like before he they leave him they're like he's like Wirt, you're the older child here like this is your responsibility to take care of this and find your way back and greg you have that frog you have to give it a name <laughs> and like but it's like these are very specific instructions for b- both of them <laughs> and he means it right because again and we'll talk about like the sort of wizard of oz alice in wonderlandy energy of this where it's like you have to learn a lesson you don't get to go home if you don't learn a lesson from all of this right but i like that it's always the lessons are very proportional yeah where it's like no Wirt has a lot to learn he has to be a better brother like he has to like accept greg into his family he has to stop being a, a sorry to use this language a soy boy mm-hmm. um i'm editing that out do you want to know what i actually <laughs> it's fun- no it's funnier to keep it in i'm doubling just it. keep it yeah um well i wrote out a note like what i thought each lesson was for him for Wirt. Ooh, and why I think that its thesis is like, how does someone push through the their fears? And from the from the woodsman, it's like, what he says to Wirt, "You're the oldest." It it's like, what can I not change about like about my situation? What do I have no power to like change? What are the right. circumstances here that were just handed to me that I have to like make do with? Which is that your mom right. remarried and that now you have a little brother. <laughs> yeah, and your yeah, your home situation is different and you're just gonna have to accept that. And this a, is it. Yeah. yeah. Um and then for later when oh we haven't talked about Beatrice yet. Um Oh yeah. But later he learns like what exactly am I capable of when we go back and forth about him being like a pushover or or not. Yeah. Yes. He proves to himself what he's capable of. Um, when he goes to the tavern, he has to discover, like, what his actual purpose is. Because everybody there has a purpose. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, you have a name, but, like, what do you do? Like, who are you? Right. And what does that that mean in your world? I mean, my favorite episode is probably the one in the modern day. But in terms of the vignette episodes, it's probably that one. Songs of the Dark Lantern. Because I do mm. like just all these people just have their, like, it. Right. Well, everyone's got their, like, the blacksmith, the butcher, yeah. like, everyone has the their job. And the master and the apprentice. Their last name is usually, yes. The, oh, who was the sad one? The tailor. And he oh. just goes, oh. He's just crying while like, he's, like, measuring. What is wrong with you? Right. <laughs> um, and then the, the final one for word is, like, can I trust myself and, by extension, others? Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, that is how he pushes through. But let's talk about the let's talk about that episode, the the modern when when they come back to modern day because that one fascinates me the most. Yes. Well, first, let me just say, originally mm-hmm. that was going to be the first episode. They were mm. going to establish Word and Greg in the modern world. Um, they were going to it was going to end basically in the same place where they dive to avoid a train and like land unconscious in the water, mm-hmm. and then the next episode was theoretically going to begin with them walking into the woods and not knowing what happened Mm. interesting i'm glad that they didn't do that (laughs) yes i it is amazing like because when you look through the concept art and stuff like and mikhail admits like this went through a lot of different visions and ideas originally the subtext that this is like a purgatory was way more explicit like originally it it was going to be called the in-between and the idea was they were going to be helping the beast find lost stories 
to add to this, like, oh, this is them going through different fairy tales that right. are, like, in their own little pocket dimensions. But I, it's amazing how those little changes, like, it just, it wouldn't be as good if right. six creative decisions were made. <laughs> I also wanted to say, of all the little hints and clues they give, like, from Grit Wirt mentioning phones to, like, him talking about a cassette, you know what my favorite one is? Okay. Every episode, you hear the train during the title card. Really? You hear a train. Yes. I didn't notice that, actually. Like, That's literally each one reminds you of how Where they started. they are. Yeah. I, actually, for me, the the indicator that they were from, like, they were sort of misplaced and, like, not in this timeline was when he mentions, like, his mom getting a divorce and remarrying and having... <laughs> That was like the most modern right? thing. I, like, oh, I was like, "Oh, you guys aren't from around here." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So should we? Let's talk about this this modern episode yes. because did you? Well, I was going to say, did you see it coming? Interesting. Or did you just think something weird was going on? I didn't. I didn't necessarily know that they were going to do that. Um, I didn't even really believe that they would ever do that. I don't. I don't know that I ever, even though they make these modern references, like your mom getting divorced, but I don't think I it was I ever like had any real indication that um that they that they would actually reveal like that these were like modern children, right? Um. So so when that episode opens and he's like in his bedroom, that was I was quite pleasantly surprised um, to see that. I was like, oh, this is gonna be really fascinating. Um, but I wasn't expecting it to be, like, the day that they, like, almost die. Or, you know, I didn't expect them to be like, mm -hmm. we're going back, get to tell you how this started. Um, so I was like, okay, cool, let's, like, let's introduce some some things here. Um, but so much, like, this episode re probably reveals the most interesting tidbits about the context of, of why they are in the situation. Right. Yeah, it's... Well, again, and I and we're going to finally litigate this. It's the Wizard of Oz thing of, like, every little bit and piece of your world gets pulled into this somehow. Right. Because it's about you understanding your life, but in a different context. Right. Like, can you learn the lessons you need to learn now that you're not the status quo? I'm trying to think of how to word this, but basically it's like, well, you're stubborn in your status quo and you don't want things to change, but if we take all the bits from your status quo and rearrange them and redecorate them, right. will you be able to process what's going on better? Right, yeah. And, you know, if this is, like... It's so interesting, like, this being a show kind of about fear, when we we tell the story through two characters that are on opposite sides of the fear spectrum and mm -hmm. in two different times of a person's life where they're afraid of nothing because they don't really know that they should be. And someone and they're who, afraid of too much yeah, because someone they don't know how to process emotionally, emotions correctly yet. Who is an adolescent teen who becomes aware that the world is scary and also becomes aware that they don't really, they're not really equipped to, to deal with that fear. <laughs> they, right. they don't have what they need in the world to like live in a scary world. But what's so interesting about this episode is like, Everything that Gret that I almost want to I why do I always want to switch their names because I, I'm very guilty of that too because Greg feels like a Wirt and Wirt feels like a Greg and maybe that's the point that like Greg has a much more grown up sounding name it it's like a much more arrived but then the sillier right. name is given to the older character that's sort of inverse huh that's fun yeah right 
Um, but I was going to say that, like, everything that we understand as being, like, Wurtz fears is, like, proven, like, void when we see his world. Like, because he's like, right. oh, I like this girl and, like, you know, I'm so, I'm kind of a nerd or whatever like that. And, like, she may be dating, what's his name, Funder... Funderburger or something Jason like that. Jason Funderburger. Jason Funderburger, yeah. All I found out that it's an F, name. which is even worse. Oh it's, it's not even That's a thunder. So it's funny. it's Funder. Um, hey, you guys. Yeah, he's, he's, Funderburger is genuinely a dweeb, but like. Yeah, it's like, no, this is what you think you are, buddy. Right. Like, you're fine. You're just a little awkward, but yeah, you're fine. You know, it's like, Sarah is certainly not out of his league. She's kind of a dork too. She's like the school mascot. Right. And, like, he's well-liked everywhere he goes. <laughs> right. Like, like he has when, friends. <laughs> when he shows up at the party, everyone's like, oh, hey, man, what's hey, up? Where? Like, it's yeah. not like they deliberately didn't invite him. No, and he They makes probably it mentioned it and assumed, like, he would come. Right, anyway. Be, like, the invitation was implicit. Right, <laughs> exactly. And he's like, I wasn't invited to this party. And he shows up and they're like, hi, we're glad you're here. Like, it's, all of his world is, is so not what he thinks it is. That's, like, one of the first things I wrote is that our... The, the boogeyman is often not what we think it is. Right. And, yeah, and it's interesting Then he has to go up against the actual boogeyman, where it's like, no, if you can handle this, you can handle just being honest and direct with people right. about what you want. Exactly. Oh, also, sidebar, uh, my other intro is going to be, Greg, that cassette had poetry and podcasts. Poetry and podcasts. <laughs> Could you imagine sending a girl a bunch of podcasts? Could you, you imagine sending that guy? Could you imagine sending a girl like cassette with like you your recorded like spoken word on it and playing the clarinet? Oh, well, no. yeah. <laughs> it never gets better. It never gets better. Right. But yeah, like I said, th- again, this is the episode that got me interested because it took what was an interesting, aesthetically pleasing, sort of vibrant series and gave it like 10 degrees more depth. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, again, I just don't think it would be good if we never saw they were in the modern world. Right. Oh, even if they just hinted at that idea and then never showed it, I don't think it works as well. I would agree. Um, all right, but let's, let's, let's have this out. Why is this not like Wizard of Oz 2, madam? It's not, I just think it's its own. I just think it's its own thing. Like, I don't. I mean. Okay, I'm not why. saying it's the exact same thing. I'm saying it's a it's part of a more, great literary tradition. I think it's even more removed, and I actually don't... Like, I think it's different than a dream. And I think it, it's not that, like, this exists within The Wizard of Oz, but, like, just a piece of The Wizard of Oz exists inside this. And do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, okay. The Wizard of Oz is Dorothy having a concussion and, like, being knocked unconscious mm. and having See, a I feel dream. Like- and she wakes up from that dream, and everyone's like, Dorothy, you were dreaming. That never happened. But we're glad that you learned a lesson. Okay. Right? All right. See, And then there's I feel proof. Like... I found proof in the show that what happened to the boys really happened to them, that they did not dream, that, that, that Greg has a dream inside this experience. That's when we get the Wizard of Oz sequence. There's a, there's a Wizard of Oz episode, not... Like, he, like, they're in this purgatory, and they go to sleep in the purgatory, and then Wirt has a dream that is like the Wizard of Oz. 
And then he wakes oh. up from that dream, returns to the purgatory, and then they continue through that purgatory. Oh, crap. That might actually be my favorite episode. I just love the Cloud yeah. City Committee. And that there's like a smooth jazz cloud, or like a like an old 30s cloud who punches people. I just love the part, it just cracks me up every time when like they're all getting introduced. <laughs> and, and then there's that like crying like Sad dog. dog. And then With Greg the is like, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, all right. And they just move on. I just love that in the logic of this universe, this very cartoony, like, this is like, okay, so we're in Beatrix Potter world, and they have their own version of, like, early Mickey Mouse cartoons yeah. just hiding in the clouds waiting for you. Do you remember that episode of of Fairly Odd Parents that was, like, finger-wagging, like, in this style of, like, Popeye? And Do you remember that episode? <laughs> I do, but I try to repress most of my memories about that show, both because of <laughs> okay. how it went to a freaking ditch, and also how the creator turned out to kind of stink. He does. I'm like, mm -hmm. um, look, I feel like with the Wizard of Oz thing, we're partially arguing semantics, where it's like, okay, maybe I'm overselling that this is a one-for-one. One. It's more of, these have a similar idea, and Spirited Away is this too, and Alice in Wonderland, but Alice in Wonderland is more chaos than, like, specific lessons. Like, of... Characters getting whisked away to fanciful worlds to learn a lesson, where it's hazy, what's real, what's a dream. But I also disagree fundamentally that what happened to Dorothy didn't happen. I, I, I like, uh, it's real. Alice was real. She goes back to Oz. There was a whole movie about that. People didn't like it as much. Well, there you go. But, like, it's, it's, I'm saying that it's not real because the film uh, tells us that. And but I'm no. choosing to believe no. the film when they when she wakes up and they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> She's like, you were there. And they're right. like, nah, -uh. I wasn't there. I feel like it's ambiguous. I feel like it's ambiguous. It's and super that, not. Ambiguous. And if they had more time, they would have made it clearer. But that film, that entire film, was a nightmare to shoot. So they right. probably just forgot. Um, also, well, I will say my side tangent on this is all of that falls in a weird tradition where. And, like, it's fine in Wizard of Oz, because Wizard of Oz already follows the structure of a girl getting sent to a magical place. Mm. But for some reason, like, 40s, and, and um, Singing in the Rain parodies this, where the idea is, like, if you were doing a movie that's set in, like, the past or, like, a fanciful time period, you could never just do that. You always had to have a modern context. The mm. ultimate example of that was there's, like, a 40s or 50s Sweeney Todd. Not the musical, just the story Sweeney Todd, like, the Penny Dreadful urban folktale of... Uh, bar barber who murders people and mm -hmm. like makes him the pies um, and it ends with a barber telling his customer that story and the customer running out and I'm like why did you need this why did you have to like frame this as a story someone in the present day was telling right. but I digress um, yes um, oh I realized I never got to my favorite song um, oh. it's really hard I honestly the soundtrack is by this like sort of folksy band called the Blasting Company they are really good. And the one thing I liked about the cabaret I saw is some of the songs that didn't make the cutting room floor or were only, like, uh, you get bits and pieces of during it, like the Beast song or mm -hmm. um, the entirety of the teacher's lament um, get worked back in. Honestly, one of my favorite songs isn't even in the show. It's um, called Send Me a Peach. And it's just this beautiful... It's on the ferry. There's a second song. Mm. Um uh, I love both of them because they're so winsome and beautiful. Like they capture the, t I think they capture the tone of this the best. But mm -hmm. if I could only pick one, probably "Old Black Train," which is the song that's playing as they're tumbling out of the way to dodge the train. Oh, 
Hmm. One, because it's the most, like, folksy sort of... And I like that it captures the, like, essence of the show, that the unknown is this, like, purgatory, like, this transition period as you're waiting to move on to the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Literally, like, it's, like, the kind of... Like, the song's text is literally, like, oh, you're waiting by the river for Kiron to show up to take you to Hades. Mm. Um, and I really, really like that. Um, um, yeah, have you ever watched... Um, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. No, I've never even heard of that. Oh, it's a Netflix thing by the Coen brothers. It was like a series of six shorts stitched together uh, set in the Wild West. And one of them is like an old black train. It's like a bunch of ca- characters on a carriage all talking. And pretty quickly you realize none of them have are 100% sure why they would be on this carriage. Mm. And the two guys at the front are like, oh, we're bounty hunters. We find people who don't realize they're wanted. And, like, pretty quickly, like, oh, they all die. This is, they're getting, like, sent to the afterlife. And that energy, I just love that energy. I think it, and it works so beautifully here. Wow. What haven't we talked, well, we haven't talked about Beatrix at all. Beatrice, yeah. How, what's, that's interesting that she hasn't come up. Um, What are your thoughts about her? I don't really know what to say about her as a character. Or her storyline here. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like it's interesting because like she is one of the three. Like they are the three that are always on the poster. Right. But at the same time, so much of the story is about a brother learning to be nicer to his brother. Right. That she kind of just serves as a bounce between between the two. Yeah, pretty much. Like she just ends up reflecting what other lessons they the other two need to learn. Exactly. Yeah. She she kind of serves as more of like a nudge push. Um, Which is interesting because she does have an art. Like, she does, yeah, like... Yeah, go on her own journey here. Yes. Which I do like that in the universe of this story, the characters who, like... we Like, we frame so much of this as hazy reflections and ideas teaching these two boys the things they need to hear. But at the same time, I like that the world... All the characters have their own arcs. Like, the teacher and her dad and that old uh, Jimmy... Oh my god, how did I forget his name? Jimmy Brown. You know, oh that no good two time in I snake. think that lady is so funny. Like that that is a funny It's the one. perfect voice. Yeah. It is the exact correct voice. Um <laughs> and that that song is even funnier when you get to hear every, every single letter, letter and yeah. you're forced to confront it. Um <laughs> But yes, like I love that there's an arc to that. I like that there's an arc to the ringing of the bell. I like that there's an arc to uh, to mad, you know, the two rich people finally realizing that they have their soulmates literally, their soulmates who literally built houses on top of each other. Right. Like, like, and I, I think that's what elevates it too, that like they are literally going into fairy tales that would exist with or without them and they're just helping the story reach its conclusion. Right, exactly. And Beatrix is, Beatrice is almost like them. She's gotten pulled into them by circumstance. Like she got cursed Accident. to be a bluebird in yeah. her own little Grimm's fairy tale. And now right. she's jumping from fairy tale to fairy tale to fix she what she did. Undo it, yeah. Can I tell you, like, I actually like shrieked the first like when I went back and watched episode one again in that intro and I saw like the gorilla in the circus and I was like, Oh my god. Yes. It's him. Well, I love that too. <laughs> again, like I like that we open with the song, this little over the garden wall song, and mm-hmm. we see all the little vignettes, of and then we come back again. to it at the end, and they're slightly changed because the actions of our characters. Right. Like I like 
And that's it adds to your idea that these stories are still happening. Like, this was a real yeah. place that existed somewhere in the annals of history. Right. As the intro said. Right, yeah. Hmm. What else is in your notes that you want to talk about? Any broad stuff that we haven't covered yet? Honestly, like, I feel like I kind of word vomited everything that I had. Um, that this is, you know, that they're on a near-death experience. Um, that kind of mirrors what a lot of people who who have near-death experiences talk about. Um, there's a weird Netflix documentary on that's like, it's a very whatever documentary about near-death experiences, but that kind of mirror this in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know. Do, what else? Do you have any more questions well, for me? I do have one more question, but before we do that, I just wanted to briefly say I desperately wish this had become more of the norm for Cartoon Network. I wish they Same. had committed more to the idea of maybe not every idea is going to be a 50-show extravaganza but there right. are a lot of great ideas that can just be 10 tight episodes mm. and Mikhail has come out and said like yeah I'm probably and you know I we were talking about there are comics for this there are expanded lore universe things that I like because it's like you know we don't know how long they were in the unknown time works right. differently there but at the same time Patrick Mikhail said like well I have an idea for something else but it would be more of a spiritual successor not a direct follow-up and I like that that this gets to be its own thing Right. The closest we've gotten to with that for Cartoon Network again is probably Infinity Steven Train, but that's more universe? of... Oh. Well, Steven Universe had, like, seasons and had, like, oh, a true. whole... And then a movie and then a spinoff show because they're like, crap, people really like this gay content. Maybe right. we shouldn't have canceled this out of spite. Right. <laughs> you want to do, like, ten more episodes? <laughs> um but yeah, Infinity Train was presented as a limited series, which mm. that will be one of these someday. I will, that will be my next, the, I gotta watch this. Um, but then it turned into an anthology series where every season is about a different character and there's some crossover, but the idea is it's all centered around an Infinity Train. What an Infinity Train is, you're going to have to watch later to find out, Sydney. <laughs> I um, definitely will. <laughs> And then, like, I don't know, like, no one else has done this. Uh, I guess no. the final season of uh, Owl House for Disney is kind of like this, but that's more because they canceled the show early and they had to fight <laughs> to get a finale. Hmm. Um, and I just, I don't know, I'm so grateful this has survived. Because Infinity Train got right. purged from HBO Max. I'm so grateful that this gets to, has survived. I don't know how. Dumb luck, probably. But. I mean, it's, like, dumb millennials like us that are, like, yay, good cartoon. Like, this is millennial crack. But, yes. if Here's what I would... Here's my final question for you. Mm -hmm. So, let's say the roles are reversed, and you're trying to introduce someone to this. Now that you've seen it, what would you say to those people to get them to watch this? I mean, I would just describe this as, like, a very warm yet sad show it's it's sort of sweetly sorrowful and mm -hmm. but very comedic and very mysterious and um it's a thinker but you'll have a good time <laughs> yes um yeah i think ultimately it captures kind of everything we've come to like about our fall entertainment that we've been talking about it's right. nostalgic and sort of melancholy but remembers that at the same time like no you can be sad and have fun you can be sad and have fun yeah <laughs> <laughs>
That is a yeah, sound I'm, for the ages. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have this stuff written down. I'm putting that in the episode description somewhere. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, this is, show is the proof fun. that you can be sad but have fun. Yeah, I am so happy you ended up liking this because I was a little unsure. But then, mm. like, the minute you started talking about it, all of those spark plugs went in my head of, like, of course Sydney would right. like this. This is it for me. Thank mm. you for introducing it to me because it was, it was about time for my brain to, like, latch on to something else. So thank you for just, like, <laughs> teeing that up right away. And as we continue to pick apart this incredible show, as we head back over the garden wall and head toward the holiday content we have ready for you all, I'm Sid. I'm Carter. <laughs> and I'm Sydney. And have a magical day. You know what I want to say? I think I think molasses on potatoes would be really nasty, actually. Yes, I. I I hate mashed potatoes on a good day. I'm not putting gross tar on that. <laughs> Me and molasses like, is like sweet tar. Sugar tar. Sugar tar. Yes. On molasses. It literally think, killed people. I think that's what makes that sequence so hilarious is that, of course, these like people from this like yeah, 18th century town are like, yum. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, before they had easy access to spices and 99% of the food right. they ate tasted like garbage. Right. On top of that, they're animals. They have no palates. They have no, no sense of flavor but yeah of course they would like this this wreck right this is a culinary experience for them <laughs> yeah they like yeah of course they would love the gross tar liquid that drowned a part of boston right exactly are you familiar with that story tar like like feather no no uh, there was a molasses flood in boston that what? killed a bunch of people there was a giant silo of tar that like exploded <laughs> in the heat and boiling t boiling molasses just like rolled onto the streets, scarring and and killing several individuals. This oh, was an I, event that happened. The I Great Molasses Flood. I feel bad for laughing at that, but it's also kind of hilarious. You're right. Like, <laughs> and we read a children's book that made it this like whimsical romp, and it's like people died, <laughs> fucking drowned in sugar. This isn't in a funny. Boiling sugar. This was a disaster. <laughs> like, and my favorite, one of my favorite video game companies is called the Molasses Flood. And I'm like, mm, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> okay. Have a have a wonderful have November, a, everyone. Yeah, go see the show. See it. Watch it, please. Please. Bye. The Disney Desk is written, produced, and edited by Sydney Nicole Barkley and Carter Glace. Please follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk or send us an email at podcastdisneydesk at gmail.com. Want to support the magic? Use the link in the show notes to make a donation to the Disney Desk podcast. We would greatly appreciate it.